Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Welcome back to the usual grind, everybody. It's Tuesday on Fantasy NBA Today, February the 21st. The All-Star break floats along. And we float with it. I am your host, Dan Bespris. And I am finally, although you'll probably hear some, a couple of little, I'm going to do my best to mute coughs, but I'm almost there to those that are watching on the live side. You can see that I do have, sometimes I like to do a little game called What's Sitting on Dan's Desk? What's Sitting on Dan's Desk? On the live recorded side, or the live YouTube side, I should say. You recorded listeners, you gotta get to hear me talk about them, but you don't get to see them. But now, here on Dan's desk, is an inhaler of albuterol because this cough became uh, a little wheezy, and uh, that ain't good for someone who needs to talk constantly as part of his, his main source of income. The, uh, I'll admit, I, I most likely brought this upon myself. I, I got this particular respiratory illness, which I assume was a cold, on, good Lord, I think it was January 31st when I started to feel that first sore throat. And we're now a full three damn weeks later, and the cough is just finally starting to peter out. I'm unfamiliar with this sort of territory. I'm not usually... My wife gets the deep, resonant, disgusting, you know, phlegm ball coughs. Her whole family does. That's that's like one of their things. Uh, I almost never do, but I, I had that one, and, you know, it, it had moved into the chest a little bit, and there was a little bit of laryngitis, and you guys remember from our trade deadline show on Thursday the 9th, I was muting myself and coughing off to the side constantly. I thought, all right, well, this is like not a big deal. Lingering cough after a cold lasts for a couple of days, whatever. I'll be fine soon. The problem, of course, was that uh, not only did I do a five-hour live show that day on the 9th, but I went and did four hours of basketball play-by-play. And then two days later, another four hours of basketball play-by-play. And there just was never a break for my voice uh, and then that just exacerbated all of the chest and larynx stuff. And I'm finally, finally starting to come around here a little bit. Finally. It's just so dumb. Three weeks later. Which means any of you guys out there that, that have the uh, the magic of youths in your home, you know that three weeks after you get one cold, I'm basically due for the next one. I only hope that taking... Uh, my family up to the mountains over the weekend with uh, one of our really good friends and their children, who none of whom were sick, was like a way to sort of reset the meter in that, uh, you know, my kids haven't seen school children since Thursday. So if they were going to catch something from a kid on Thursday, they probably would have had it, I would think, by today, it's five days later. It's typical incubation time for most things. Viral things is like three to five days. So if they all come home from school healthy today, then maybe I've got like another week to fully recover from this thing. I guess it doesn't really matter. Uh, hi. Hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. I am, of course, Dan Bespris. Your 
happy little Yiddish friend here on Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Oh, yes. The ethos is strong. That website is sportsethos.com. It occurs to me that I haven't actually shared that website on the screen for you guys on the live side, but I'm going to try to do that at some point today. While we just sort of meander our way through fantasy stuff, because there isn't a ton going on. We're not on a strict schedule today. So we're going to talk a bit about the buyout names, Russell Westbrook being the biggest of them, Patrick Beverly, Kevin Love being, I would probably argue, the other two. Uh, I know Terrence Ross got in there and took whatever it was, 17 shots in, in like 20 minutes or something in his son's debut, but all that Phoenix stuff is going to come crashing down when KD comes back. So I don't want to really read much into that. Uh, as far as the, the other names are concerned, there, there is probably something there that's worth digging into. And then the thing that I've thrown up here on the screen for folks watching on YouTube is a streamer guide. And we're at that part of the year where, and, you know, we make this available for premium subs for the entire season. Folks can see me scrolling back and forth a little bit here. Uh, for those of you that are headed towards your head-to-head -to -head playoffs, to me, this is where this becomes extraordinarily useful. And... I would, I would also ask you all to please at some point join me on YouTube because you can then kind of see a visual aid. Now, I'm going to talk through it so that folks on the recorded side get the same quality that they would always get, but there's going to be this added element for those watching live. They can see what I'm talking about as I'm talking about it, and I don't know, I don't want to say it takes a little pressure off of me of, of building, of painting this picture for everyone, but... It's a useful study guide, if nothing else. Let's go ahead and dive right on in. I want to talk about the buyout candidates first, and we'll, we'll get back to the uh, streaming deal um, in shortly. Let's talk Russ, because I'm guessing most of you missed yesterday's show. It came out at like 5 p.m. Pacific time. I had to get back into town for my trip before I could put the show out. Uh, Russell Westbrook to the Clippers. Which, you know, I'll talk about it from, a, from the, the reality side first, because what we learn on the fantasy side has to be colored by what we know it will happen. Not if, will happen. It's not a maybe. On the reality side. So here's the thing with Russ. And I always try to give it a measure of nuance because the people that love Russ love him so much that they will find my home address and, you know, throw elephant feces at my front door or something. If I say something, heaven forbid, I, I utter a negative word on their favorite guy. And then there are the people that hate Russ that are going to, you know, stand in front of my door with a, a tarp to protect me from said elephant feces. But the reality here is that we just have to forget the name for a minute and analyze this situation on the what we know, the, the data we actually have in front of us. Which, and I can't completely ignore the name because I need to refer to him as something here on the podcast, which for Russell Westbrook is that... His game 
doesn't really translate to reality success anymore. That's just the truth. And if saying that upsets you, you are not looking close enough at the way he operates on a basketball court now. Because the way that he operates on a basketball court now is the same as the way he operated on a basketball court 10 years ago, but with wildly diminished athleticism. And that's not to say that Russ isn't one of the most athletic human beings in the world. He's just no longer one of the most athletic human beings in the NBA. That's all that matters. So, what we saw in Los Angeles on the form blue and gold side is what you're going to see in Los Angeles on the Clippers side, which I got to be honest, I don't even know what the team's colors are officially anymore. It used to be like a like a light blue and red. Now I think it's black and red. I don't know if black is an official regardless. They've got every team keeps changing their colors these days. Russ isn't going to magically become something else because he moved into the other locker room. Into the Clips home locker room at Staples. He's still Russ. We've, we still see what he has now become in the twilight of his career. Maybe we're not all the way at the twilight, but it sure feels like we're damn close. And that is someone who still wants to go full bull in a china shop style of play, but isn't that menacing of a bull. And I said it on yesterday's show, and I want to repeat it because I, I feel like it's the best way for people to visualize how he operates nowadays. Russ is a self-enabler on a basketball court. I've watched so much Lakers basketball over the last few years in particular, mostly since I kind of jumped over to the analyst side of the curtain as opposed to guy who plays slash watches or plays fantasy a ton, watches a ton of basketball, et cetera, et cetera. Watches Lakers religiously and so on and so forth. When Russ does something good, which does happen, Again, this is like that moment where I'm going to say negative things about Russ and people are going to be like, ah, oh, Dan hates Russell Westbrook. I don't know. I don't know Russell Westbrook. I don't hate him. I've just watched him a crap load. And what I've seen is that he has flashes where things are going well. They tend to come off of long rebounds from the opposing team. Russ gets them, you know, near the free throw line, top of the circle sort of deal, and he's just out and running. They tend to happen off of live ball turnovers. Russ is still pretty good in transition because he's going to go faster than everybody else, or he's going to try to at the very least. But the problem is not every damn possession is going to be coming off a live ball turnover or a long rebound. A lot of possessions over the course of an NBA game over those 48 minutes are going to come in the half court. And Russ tries to do the same thing in the half court that he does in transition, which is a couple of high steps, like a couple of slow steps, and then zoom. But the problem with trying to do that in the half court is that 
teams aren't guarding him at the three-point line. He's not blowing past anyone in the half court. He's blowing right into a clogged paint because teams have just said, Russ, we're not going to guard you within seven feet of the three-point line. And then you get these games where, and again, I don't want to get too sidetracked by this, but I got a lot of questions over the weekend when I was out of town, or not. I guess it was sort of the end of the weekend because that was when the news came out. Was, was that yesterday morning? Was that Monday on President's Day? Uh, and there's... You know, there's not going to be much going on in the chat room today, but, you know, the first question that was in there is to talk about these buyout guys. And then you're like, Dan, why are you talking so much about the reality side? We just want to know the fantasy side. Here's the thing, guys. Number one, we ain't got no time schedules today. We got no box scores to go over. I might just talk for on Russ for a half an hour and then decide we'll talk about everything else tomorrow. This is like the offseason mushed into the middle of the season. Welcome to the All-Star break, everybody. This is how I operate. I do what I want, when I want, on the schedule I like. Because, in the words of the great Bob Euchre from Major League, over the All-Star break, well, nobody's listening anyway. There are a couple of you out there. I lied. I mean, there's some of you listening. Because you're degenerates and we'd all like to hang out together. But back on the Russ thing. Why are you talking about all this stuff, Dan? Why are you bagging on Russ? Yeah, I am bagging on Russ a little bit. But this is why I feel the way I do about his fantasy prospects, which I'm going to tell you in about two minutes here. We just need to finish up a couple thoughts on on how he plays. With the Lakers, they allowed that. They allowed him to just sort of be Russ, even once he moved to the bench, which was good for the team because he could inject a little bit of energy into a second unit. That was, at times this year, a positive. But so often... You saw Russ make a good play in transition, hit someone on a on a, a cut or whatever. Uh, he's out and running. He gets his own layup. Then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm still Russ. And then it's chuck up threes that inevitably don't go in or drive the paint with seven guys there, turn it over. Oh, the live ball turnovers. Oh, my good Lord. Nothing could snap a momentum run faster for the Lakers over the last year and a half than Russ going redlining effectively. And by the time the Lakers were trying to rein him back in, it was too late. So now I think about this from the Clippers standpoint. And so everybody's like, Dan, do I pick up Russ? I'm like, well, here's the thing. The Lakers were in a weird spot where they legitimately had no choice. The Lakers' role players, and I put that in air quotes, this year, and frankly last year, the Lakers' role players the last two seasons have been sub-NBA quality. They're just not guys that deserved 20-plus minutes a game. Those are guys that deserved probably 12 minutes per game. But because the Lakers were so hamstrung by having three massive contracts, one of them, sorry Russ, a guy not performing at an all-star level, making all-star money, they had no they had nobody that they could play. So Russ really was, for better or worse, the best option. We all wanted him to not be on the floor as much as he was, but what was the alternative? Austin Reeves was out for a hamstring for a year. LeBron missed a ton of time over the last year and change. Not as much this year. AD always out. What is the alternative? 
They can't just, I mean, they played Lonnie Walker full starters minutes, and he can't guard anything. And those are the best options I'm talking about here. Sorry, I love you, Juan Toscano Anderson. You're, you're a great dude, but that guy doesn't deserve full NBA minutes. He's a fill-in option. Troy Brown Jr., I like Troy Brown. He plays some D, he plays hard, but that dude didn't deserve full starters minutes. He's not that good by NBA standards. He's definitely that good by normal human standards. So for the Lakers, it was like, look, like we got to just like ride or die at this point. Russ, please, please try to try to pull yourself back in in those pivotal moments. But he didn't. He never did. But then you get maximum Russ. So whatever he was doing this year with the Lakers was basically... As long as he's on a team actually trying to compete, which he still is, kind of a best-case fantasy scenario. Unless they somehow found a way to get him to uh, a Scott Brooks run team, which doesn't currently exist. Because, you know, Brooks would just be like, yes, Russ, you're still Russ. Go, It's your team for 40 minutes of ballgame. But that's not happening. The best case scenario for Russ would have been if he ended up on a bad team where they could have just been like, here, have at it. But that wasn't going to happen because that's not where he was going to go in a buyout. So Russ is back on a uh, competing, competitive basketball club, one that wants to win ball games. But the big glaring difference here is that Russ is now on a competitive winning team that has other NBA level options. And I know the words that came out about Russ is that the Clippers expect him to be starting at some point. Expect at some point. It does not mean that he's guaranteed a full starters job with full starters minutes at any point the rest of the year. If you're in a points league, you can pick him up because Russ's failings don't really impact you. I know there's like six of you out there that always get on my case. You're like, Dan, I'm in a points league that does uh, value percentages. Okay, fine. But most don't. So just don't give me a hard time about that. If you're in a traditional points league, there you go. You can still roster Russ because, you know, even 20 mid-20s in minutes for him would likely be enough on the points league side. If you're in an eight-cat head-to-head league where you're punting at least one of the two percentages and possibly also threes, then he also does make sense. Or a nine-cat if you're doing that and you're also punting turnovers. I mean, we're talking about a lot of things you've got to be punting to be considering Russell Westbrook on your team. The Clippers' superstars have long been kind of quietly whining about not having a point guard on the team. Well, you got one. But in my humble opinion, as, you know, just guy who watches a boatload of sports and Lakers in particular lately, I don't think that Russ is going to have full starters minutes on the Clippers. I think they are going to see what he does now. And they're going to realize that in full minutes, that's a negative. Can they rein him in to be a hired gun, come off the bench, 
spell the starters, inject a little energy into the team, because that team does get a little listless from time to time, then maybe. But my guess here is that he has a much smaller role with the Clippers than he did with the Lakers, even if they're saying the opposite right now. What about Patrick Beverly? He's another one that just popped up as people are more interested in Pat Bev on the Bulls than I thought they would be. Uh, to me, he he strikes me as someone who likely has almost the exact same role that he had on the Lakers, which, you know, he's going to be buried behind high-volume guys. And, and I'm, of course, assuming that DeMar DeRozan is back in the not-too-distant future here. Uh, Zach Levine, DeMar, Vooch, do those guys take as many shots as LeBron and AD? Yeah, probably. Altogether, maybe more. Probably more, honestly. So I don't know why folks are looking at this and thinking that Pat Bev, Pat Bev is suddenly going to play more than 27 minutes of all game. Maybe he gets more than five and change shots, not playing in LeBron's shadow. There is something about, like, just... Beverly strikes me as someone that's probably confident enough to take shots over, like, a Zach Levine and then go yell at him about it. But no one's doing that to LeBron at this point in his career. And I like Bev uh, for his sort of off-positional stats. He's a good rebounder for a, a small guy. He gets more blocks than your average small guy. But, you know, he's not helping you with percentages. He's probably not going to help you in scoring. He's not going to help you in threes, typically, if he's not taking enough shots. I just... I, back when Pat Bev was younger and shot more and was on a team where he wasn't buried as far, I thought about it. But to me, I don't think he's inside of 16 team most likely here. Especially when you consider the fact that, you know, who's who's he playing over with Chicago? Is Ayo Desunmu not going to get to play anymore? Uh, is Alex Caruso not going to get to play anymore? Do they take Kobe White completely out of the rotation? Maybe is the answer to any of those. But to just have all of those guard options floating around, I, I don't know how... I don't know how he gets the role that he envisions, and to me, this almost feels more like just a homecoming. He'll become a fan favorite because he's going to play harder than everybody else, and the Bulls badly need that. He actually will probably be useful for that team, but fantasy-wise, I don't see it. And then Kevin Love, I like. I don't think we really even need to go down that path. He does not have much left in the tank. He will be a low-minutes option for a Heat team that... Uh, Spolstra loves to mix and match. He's a tinkerer, even in the middle of a ball game. If a particular lineup isn't working, he'll just try Kevin Love in another one. So yeah, no, I'm not adding Kevin Love anywhere outside of like 30 deep teams. Uh, Patrick Beverly, I think deep leaguers should take note. And then Russell Westbrook, as we've talked about, is much more specialisty appeal because of his massive uh, holes in his fantasy game. And I'm sure we'll get some bits and pieces of news that trickle out over the course of the week. Uh, Lonzo Ball got officially shut down for the year this morning, but like that's the non-news news of the day for sure. We didn't ever really think he was going to play this season. It's why the Bulls under was a side that I was on in a big way, if you guys remember our uh, season win total shows back in August. So hopefully you rolled with that because he was their glue guy last year. The team got kind of bad when he got hurt late last season, and then they've been bad kind of all year this year. No big surprise. He's the dude that held that whole thing together. And he ain't been there. Let's talk a little bit about streaming schedules now. I, Sorry, but medicines are falling over off my counter here. Get it together, Dan. 
he says, knowing Dan will not get it together. All right, so again, those watching on YouTube now, you get a little bit of an edge. Uh, for those listening on the recorded side, we're going to talk about this the way we always do. But this is largely going to be uh, a five or ten minute segment for folks that haven't been with the podcast during this part of the year in the past. If you've been with us in prior seasons here on Fantasy NBA Today, then you know that when you when we get into the fantasy playoffs, which... You know, I'm thinking about how many head-to-head. Again, I'm only in a couple of head-to-head leagues. I I don't. I far prefer Roto, uh, but most I think still have another week or two before the fantasy playoffs start. A lot of them start, I believe, on week 21. Uh, but you know, whatever. Like right now, it's a little bit too early. By the end of this week. Next week, I think, will probably be a, a normal one. And perhaps by March 6th, we'll start to kind of treat that as like a maybe you're in your fantasy playoffs thing. And I get it. Some of you are going to be in, in playoffs next week, right after the conclusion of this All-Star break stuff. Uh, but most leagues, the vast majority, don't start until uh, a little after that. So that's the way we're going to treat it. But as far as what does that mean for the podcast, it means that there are going to be now two... Again, starting more like March 6th, not immediately. But there are going to be more like two shows within each show, so to speak. That is to say, uh, we're going to have a streaming show within the same episode, and we're going to have a regular recap show within the same episode. I haven't decided what I'm going to do on YouTube yet, if that's actually going to be two different episodes or if it's going to be one all smushed together. Probably, because time is an issue in my day-to-day, it's probably going to be all mushed into one episode, if I had to guess. But, nah, I don't, I don't fully know. <laughs> I'll admit, I haven't thought that far ahead. It doesn't really matter. You'll figure out a way to get the information regardless. But what I'm talking about now is the long stream. da 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 The long stream, everybody. Those of you, again, many of you know this terminology from days gone by. It hasn't really, as far as vernacular goes, it hasn't really caught on in the mainstream. But the concept of the long stream is that when the fantasy playoffs come around, you ramp up the number of roster slots on your team you are willing to stream. For a couple of reasons. Reason number one, you want to maximize games in your playoffs. Reason number two, you cannot have someone who's injured on your team that is giving you zeros outside of maybe like a first rounder because your league probably won't even let you drop that dude anyway. You just can't. If someone's giving you zeros in your fantasy playoffs, you have to get rid of them because you have to make it to the next round. Even if your opponent ends up picking up that guy and they come back and they beat you, You have to get to the next round. And that creates another possible streaming slot. But of course, the problem here, or the the challenge, not even a problem so much, it's a challenge we can overcome with the help of this handy-dandy streaming guide available to all Fantasy Pass subscribers at sportsethos.com, is that... During the regular season, you know, maybe you're streaming one, maybe you're streaming two roster slots. It's pretty easy if you have four weekly moves 
to use one on Monday and, you know, one on Thursday or whatever for two different roster slots. Like on Monday, you pick up somebody that has two games the first three days of the week. On Thursday, you pick up somebody that has three games the final four days of the week and so on and so forth. And you're maximizing games played for two roster slots using just those four moves. But you don't get more moves per week when you hit your fantasy playoffs. You have to find a way to use your four moves for more than two streaming slots. And I contend that the only way to do that is with, that's right, the long stream. What's a long stream, Dan? You guys all shout in unison, and I tell you, a long stream is when you're picking up someone that you still consider to be a streaming slot, but with a willingness to hold them for five or more days, typically. I might even give you the okay to go as low as four, but I would basically never go shorter than four days of someone on your team that you still consider part of your streaming slot. And it's pretty easy to visualize the numbers. If you're going to hold somebody for four days, they need to have three games in those four days. If it's five days, it needs to be four games over five nights, which very rarely happens in the NBA these days. But I think we had we had a reschedule earlier this year that I think is creating one of those opportunities. There might have been like one time that it happened earlier. But schedulers have really tried to wipe that one out because players were like passing out and falling on their noses on the basketball court. So typically it's four games, three games in four nights is pretty good because, I mean, it's a good qual, it's a good ratio. That's 75% of the days you've got games on them. But, you know, four days, you're going to have to use another roster move at some point that week. Four games in six nights, that's 67% of your days. And, uh, you know, the ratio there isn't as good. But it does allow you to basically hold a player for effectively an entire week. Not quite. The optimal ad. There was one of those coughs I had to knock out. The optimal ad in the long stream is five games in seven nights. Those do rear their heads from time to time. I want to see if I can find one on this calendar as I'm just like quickly shoot darting my eyes across the screen. I don't, I'm sure there's one that you guys can all see on the, the YouTube side that I'm missing here. But they do pop up. Basically, it's a back-to-back, day-off, game, day-off, back-to-back. That's what you're looking for. And, you know, they happen all the time during the COVID years. Uh, they are a bit more rare now. But they're around. There, you'll find a 5-7. and seven. Someone's going to have one in your fantasy playoffs. I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, if you can't do 5-7, and seven, other options, like we said, 3-4, and 4-6. Four, four There's also 6-9, uh, which that's actually a bit more common. And I'll try to just highlight one for the folks watching on YouTube. That's a back-to-back, day-off game, day-off game, day-off, back-to-back. So it's not quite as jammed in as five and seven, but six and nine is fun because now you're getting that 67%, same as you got with four games in six days, still much better than, you know, league average, which is like every other day effectively. So much better than the 50% you're trying to elevate from. 
Again, 50% just a ratio. It's it's roughly around the average of how often these these teams play games over the course of the season. But you don't have to worry about that roster slot for a week and a half almost. These ones pop up much more regularly. Those, that, again, that are watching live, you can see a few of them being highlighted on your screen right now. They're, they surface, uh, not, I don't want to say all the time, but they are relatively common, and you can find them. By the way, I just found a 5 and 7. Philadelphia has one coming up starting on March 1st. March 1st through March 7th. If you happen to have playoffs running during that time, Philly has a five-game road trip where, uh, I mean, you, you'll probably see some regulars getting rested towards the tail end of that. They're in Indiana and in Minnesota on March 6th and 7th, uh, which is going to make someone like a... D'Anthony Melton, who's been a little up and down lately, five games and seven days of him, absolutely. Even Jalen McDaniels might sniff value in a five and seven. But again, the magic of this is that you're only then, I mean, if it's five and seven, you're using one move out of your four, and you're done with that slot. And no matter how many games the slot had scheduled prior to you making that move, over the course of the next week, over those seven days, you will add games to your ledger. It's very possible that the player you had in that streaming slot might have only had, a, might have only had two or three games over those seven days. And then with one roster move, you add two or three games to your ledger. And in a worst-case scenario, your player that you replaced had four games over those seven days, and you still add one to the ledger. Every move you make when you're long-streaming should add a game to your team's bucket over the span of the next seven days. If it doesn't do that, it's not a very good roster move. During the regular season, you can get away with that because you can, again, if you're only streaming one or two slots, you can kind of mix and match where you just where you stockpile within a given week. You don't need to add a game over seven days. You need to add a game over two days or three days or whatever it is. But you can't do that during the playoffs if you're streaming three or four roster slots. You need to be using your moves to maximize your game's edge long-term and the reason for that is, number one, it's always great to have more games, but the even more important reason for that is you must have roster moves available late or middle in the week for when your players inevitably get hurt. Because if you're choosing to just stream the same two roster slots in your fantasy playoffs that you streamed all season long and you use up all of your moves on Thursday and two of your guys get hurt on Friday and suddenly you're about to lose four games... You are donezo. But if you use a move on Monday and you pick up somebody who has, you know, four games between Monday and Saturday, and you use another move on Tuesday of somebody that has four games between Tuesday and Sunday or five games between Tuesday and the following Monday or six games between Tuesday and the following Thursday or whatever this long stream is, now you still have two more moves the rest of the week to utilize in a long stream fashion or to replace an injured player. You cannot stream the same way during your fantasy playoffs 
in very competitive leagues, you cannot do it the way you do during the regular season because you cannot be caught with your pants down late in the week when someone gets hurt. If that happens during the regular season, someone on your team gets hurt on a Friday, you just go, ah, well, they'll be back on Wednesday of next week. It'll be fine. Not in the playoffs. If somebody gets hurt on a Friday in your playoffs, you got to have a move to get rid of them. Because they're two zeros. Let's say that guy was playing Friday and Sunday. You can add two games to your team by replacing that injured player. And anytime you can add two games or more to your total games played bucket during the playoffs, you do it. Anytime. And it stinks because I've had weeks where I've had five guys injured in the same week. I literally didn't have enough moves to get rid of all the players that I lost. And I'm just choosing, like, all right, which of these injured guys do I think might come back by, you know, Saturday's game or something like that? That's terrible. I mean, it's a big reason, big, big reason why I hate the head-to-head playoffs and why I prefer Roto by such a wide margin because this type of crap, sorry, this is just BS, but, like, your season can come unglued because of a little uh, four nagging injuries in one week. I hate it, but it can, and it probably will for someone in your league. Maybe not you, but it's going to happen to somebody. It happens to somebody every year. All right, let's go ahead and put a pin in things for now. That's about as much as I wanted to do on uh, accomplish on today's show. Uh, tomorrow, we'll talk about some more additional news that I'm sure will break over the next 24 hours. We'll start to take a look towards the rest of this week. And what I'd like to do is do a little uh, example run on, let's say your playoffs are starting next week or something like that. We'll dive in a little bit more on the streaming side. I also want to talk tomorrow a bit more about Roto strategy down the stretch because this is a time you need to adjust, tweak the way that you're attacking your Roto leagues as well. Uh, and we'll rumble along from that. Again, as always, folks watching on YouTube, I'll answer some questions after the show to our friends over on all of the traditional channels, iTunes, Spotify, etc., etc. Many thank yous, as always, for hanging out with us. I am, once again, Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on social media. For Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation, at ethosfantasybk on Twitter which is up to 9,444 follows. We want to get them to 10K before the season's done. we got a little, little under two months to do it. So please do help us out on that front. We'll see you over on social. So long for now.